Good morning. How are you guys doing today? Good, good. My name is Pastor Jackson. I am the youth pastor here. If I haven't met you, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us uh, today. I hope in all of us there's a level of dependence on the Lord, that we're here today uh, to see the Lord, to interact with the Lord, and to walk away changed by the Lord. And uh, that's our prayer and that's our hope for you. So I love that we got to, to reflect on that for a few minutes uh, in the song. We're going to be in the book of James today, so you can turn to James chapter 1. And, and as you turn there, I want to share a, a story, uh, an experience that I had just the other day. So uh, I was at the grocery store, my wife and I, we were shopping and... Uh, uh, you know, just getting, getting all the stuff that we need. And I have this thing where I don't really use cash. If I get cash, it kind of just stays in my wallet for quite a few months and it'll just kind of hang out in there. I kind of forget it's there. Uh, I hate getting like pennies and nickels back. So I just kind of avoid using it till I go to the bank and can deposit it in the ATM or something like that. So I'm at the store and I'm like, oh, you know what? I've got this cash in my wallet. Why don't I use it today? Why don't I get rid of it, clear out my wallet so I can just have those beautiful little debit cards in there? So I try to use the cash and I hand it to him it's a little bit of a larger bill and they look at it they do their inspection and they say we can't take this uh and I was like what do you, what do you mean you can't take it and she was like we we can't take it we won't accept it and in my mind I'm like oh my gosh did I just try to pay with like a counterfeit bill like is this fake is this real am I going to get in trouble so check out I get her stuff and I go to my wife and I'm like we gotta go because in my mind for some reason I don't I don't get in trouble a lot so the idea of interacting with law enforcement or anything like that scares me, okay? And so I'm like, we got to go. And she's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, just listen, get in the car, let's go. And I tell her, I was like, they were talking, because they were talking on their little microphones about me and how I try to use this, this bill. And I was like, we've got to go, we got to get out of here. And so I'm sitting here wondering, man, is this, a, is this a real bill? Is it fake? Is it genuine? Is it authentic? And I thought of that story, because when we come to the book of James, I think at the heart of the book of James is the idea or the question is your faith genuine? James is writing to a, a group of Christians and he's asking them, is your faith real? And, and so as I was paying with this bill, thinking it was real and turns out maybe it's not, James is writing to a group of Christians and he's asking them, is your faith real? One uh, writer would describe the book of James as a handful of pearls and each one is dropped into the hearer's mind. Verse by verse, you just hear something good. You hear something that you can take away and that you can live life in light of what you've heard from the book of James. It's one of the reasons that I love it. It's practical, it's challenging, and it's easy to understand. And that's why so many people will pick up the book of James and say, this is our Bible study because it doesn't take a whole lot of work to understand what James is saying. Other passages in scripture, you feel like you have to do this heavy lifting to get to the main idea. But James is clear. He's sometimes a little blunt, but he's to the point. And we can walk away understanding what he's saying in, uh, to us through the word of God. If you don't know anything about James, James was one of the half-brothers of Jesus. And in verse 1, he says, I'm James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's so cool that although he's a half-brother of Jesus, he doesn't refer to himself as a, as a brother of Jesus, but he calls himself a servant. I don't know if you know this about James, but at one point in his life, he did not believe that Jesus was the Son of God. Look to the person next to you and just think for a second, what would this person have to do to convince me that they were God, right? Like, what exactly would the person next to you, and some of you are looking at your kid and like, yeah, no shot that you would ever convince me, uh, but what would that person have to do to convince you that they were God in human flesh? Well, for James, it was the resurrection of Jesus that ended up changing his mind. John 7, 5 would tell us that for not even Jesus' brothers, none of them believed that he was the son of God until 
the resurrection. When Jesus rose from the dead, that was enough uh, convincing for James and his other brothers to follow Jesus, not just as their brother, but as their Lord, and to see themselves as a servant to him. It's also important to understand who James is writing to. They're a group of Christians, likely a couple churches, that are, uh, they have a Jewish background. So they were once Jews, now they're Christians, so they've got this Jewish background, and it's likely that they were outside of uh, Israel and the land of Israel as he's writing to them, and these Christians are struggling. They're suffering from persecution, from trials. They are going through hardships in life. And so as we look at the big picture of the book of James, we could say at one level, he's just writing to encourage Christians who are struggling. He's writing to encourage us to, to take heart, to count it all, all joy, and to persevere if you try, through our trials. But there's also another level of this book where James is seeing the suffering that these Christians have gone through, and it appears, as you read the whole book of James, that this suffering has brought to the surface some impurities in this church and in these believers. There are some unhealthy habits and traits that have become clear to James as he's writing to these Christians, and so much so that James is questioning whether some of these Christians are actually saved. He's questioning whether some of these people in these different churches are actually truly followers of Jesus. And so he's going to write to them these different tests, and he's going to give them these different challenges to ask this one question over and over and over. Is your faith genuine? Is your faith real? Do you have a saving faith in Jesus, or do you have something else? And so over the next few weeks, we're going to take a, a journey through James, and it's only going to be a few weeks, so, so sadly, we won't be able to give every passage and every verse the, maybe the time that it deserves or the intention that, uh, attention that it deserves. But if you, if you go back, Pastor David recently preached two sermons in the, the first chapter of the book of James. If you go back way into the archives of our, our podcast, you'll find that I preached the passage in James chapter 1 back in 2020. So if you really want to dive deeper into some of the earlier verses, we can do that uh, online together. Uh, but today we're going to be in James 1, 19 through 27. That's where we're going to spend our time and where we're going to camp out this morning. So we're going to dive in. And my main idea today, the main question that I'm going to be asking is, are you living in harmony with the Word of God? Is there a congruence between what you hear and what you do in this life? What you hear from the Word and what you do, how, how do they, they work together? Is there a, a beautiful harmony between the two, or is there a disconnect somewhere in your life between what you hear and what you do? And so I'm going to have three points for us, and the first one is this. There's a harmony with the Word in speech, a harmony with the Word in speech. That's the first, first passage, and we're going to look at verses 19 through 21 uh, to consider this, and let's, let's read that now. It says, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Let's pray and ask the Lord for his help in these next few moments. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to be gathered here as a body uh, on this day, on this, on this holiday weekend. Lord, we're so glad that, that all of these saints decided to worship with you. Thankful for the ones that are watching online. And Lord, in the next few moments, we just pray uh, a prayer of desperation, understanding that if you don't move in these next few moments, then all of this is pointless. If this is just me talking, then we might as well go home, Lord. We need you. We're desperate for you, for your presence, and for your power. We need your help in understanding your word, and I pray that you do that in the next few moments. 
If there be any of us that, that don't truly know you as Savior, whether we, we walked into this room knowing that we're not Christian or we've walked into this room self-deceived, Lord, I pray that you would just reveal our hearts to us, show us who we are, show us where we're at spiritually, and Lord, would we walk away either in a better relationship with you or for the first time walking away saved by you. God, would you do a mighty work in these next few moments? So we pray all of this in your name. Amen. So the book of James is full of commands, and it's part of the reason why probably you like the book so much. And if you look at chapter 3 in James, you'll see that this church or these Christians that he's writing to, they have a speech problem. They don't use their words well. They use their words very sinfully to to hurt other people, to cut other people down. So James starts with a little uh, encouragement, a little challenge on how you are to speak, how you're to use your words. He says you're to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. So he tells us all to be quick to listen to other people, quick to hear, but very slow to speak. So it's kind of this, this backwards picture of uh, a, a quickness to listen, but a slowness to speak. So Lord, was that okay? Did I say something wrong? Uh, I think we're good. I think we're good. We're good. Keep moving. Uh, if that happens again, I'm stepping down, right? If it happens again, I'm stepping down. But isn't it often reversed in our culture? People aren't slow to listen and, or uh, quick to listen, slow to speak, but they're, they're quick to speak and slow to listen. We live in the, the online social media world where anybody can have a podcast, a, a YouTube channel. Your thoughts your opinions can be blasted online to hundreds, thousands, maybe even millions of people instantly. With just the, the click of a button or the recording of a video, you can share your thoughts that nobody asked for with everybody. And you can even react to situations in, in current events before you even know all the facts, right? Anybody of you ever done that before? You, you sent a Facebook post out or, or made a tweet and had to delete it because the facts came out later and you were like, oh, I spoke too quickly. I didn't know what I was talking about. And so James encourages us to be quick to listen and slow to speak. One writer says he's, he's guarding them against hasty speech, speaking too quickly, letting your opinion out before it's needed. And, and here's the thing, too. Uh, our thoughts and opinions on things are not always needed. Uh, I try to be uh, mindful of the fact that nobody is waiting around on social media thinking, what does Jackson Flieger think about this? Oh, I just need to see his tweet, and then I'll know what to do. Nobody's waiting for my opinions, and they're likely not waiting for yours either. And the book of Proverbs, it's one of the wisdom books in the Old Testament. And so James's audience would have been very familiar with the teachings in Proverbs and Jewish culture. They were just familiar with these teachings. And if you look at the book of Proverbs, it has a lot to say about being slow to speak and quick to listen. Proverbs uh, 10, 19 says, when words are many, transgressions are not lacking. Basically, when you talk too much, sin will follow. But he says, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. You see, talking too much or speaking too quickly leads us into sin. All of us have some point in our life have put our foot in our mouth. We said something that we really shouldn't have said, and we're like, why in the world did, did I just say that to that person? I shouldn't have said that. But sometimes not talking, restraining your lips, restraining your words makes you seem prudent. It makes you seem wise, like you, you know what you're talking about, like you know what you're doing. Uh, Proverbs 17, 27 through 28 says, whoever restrains his words has knowledge. And he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. I love how this proverb says, basically, this is what it's saying. If you're stupid, if you don't talk, you seem like you're smart. But it's when you talk that you show that you really don't know anything. 
And we see that played out all over our culture. Some of our middle school guys are like, what? What do you mean? Uh, but it's a, it's a life lesson, and it's some of the truth that James is hitting on. He's saying that if you have wisdom, that will likely lead to you having fewer words to say, not more. Right? We live in the, the podcast world. Everybody probably has their favorite podcast, and we often think, man, if someone has a podcast, if they're on YouTube, they've got to be smart, right? Because their words are everywhere. And James says that's not always true. Sometimes less is more, and saying less means that you are uh, more wise than the person who's always talking. I was thinking about it this way. To always say what you think or to speak more than you listen shows that you probably think you're wiser than you really are. You're probably giving yourself more credit than you deserve. If I think that my opinion is always needed or that I should always speak when I'm at the table, when I'm in the conversation, I'm probably giving myself a little too much credit. Probably think I'm a little bit wiser than I really am. Probably have a little bit more pride in my life than I should. My thoughts are always, not always needed. They're not always called upon. You don't always have to share them. And that's what James is encouraging this church who is using their tongue in a very dangerous way, but he also tells them to be slow to anger. It would seem like there is a link between those people who talk a lot and who are always angry. There's, there's some sort of connection between the two, but notice James doesn't say never be angry. He says be slow to anger. Anger in and of itself as an emotion is not a sin, However, there's the human anger that he points to in the next verse. He says, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God desires. God is righteous and he desires for you and me as his people to be righteous. And human anger does not produce that righteousness. Human anger does not produce the human flourishing that he desires for your life and for my life. Uh, Paul David Tripp would describe two different kinds of anger. And he'd say really all anger fits into one of these two, two buckets. The first one is big kingdom anger. And I've talked about this before many years ago. Big kingdom anger is anger about the, the kingdom of God, the things that God desires, the thing that God gets angry about. Big kingdom anger is concerned with the things of God, his, his kingdom, his word. Little kingdom anger is anger revolving around your own life. Someone cuts you off in traffic. Someone says something rude to you. Somebody uh, doesn't do what you think you're, they're supposed to do, so you get angry because your kingdom, your life is being affected. And James is saying that kind of anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. We should be slow in that anger. We should not act on that anger instantly. We should take a minute, take a day, take a week, calm ourselves because that anger does not produce the actions and the lifestyle that God desires for your life. How many of you have ever been in a situation where you let your, over, your anger overtake you and you said something in the heat of the moment that right when you said it, you wished you could have taken it back? You said, ah, I can't believe I just said that. I can't believe I just hurt that person with my words. Or did I really just say something like that? We've all found ourselves in that situation. And so James is cautioning against that kind of lifestyle, against those kind of actions. He's warning us to be slow to speak. So many bad situations could be avoided if we would just close our lips and just pause for a day or two. The anger would subside and we would find ourselves not, uh, not speaking like these Christians were speaking, not finding ourselves in negative situations because of our anger. But verse 21, look at that with me. It's going to help us get to the root of our speech problem and our anger. 
James says, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. If you're going to remove unhelpful traits like speaking too much or human anger from your life, you have to get to the roots. You have to get to the source of those actions. Because if you just try to uh, modify behavior, that doesn't work. You have to get to the source. And James says the source of our disobedience is the sin in our hearts. And, and he's very clear with, with what he says. He uses strong words to describe sin. We live in a culture that overlooks sin or even celebrates sin. We could say that our culture takes great pride in sin. The, the, the only kind of sin in our culture these days, it seems like, is telling somebody that they're sinning. Like, you can do whatever you want. You can live whatever, any kind of, like any kind of lifestyle you want to live. You can do it as long as you don't tell someone else they're sinning. As long as you don't judge somebody or tell somebody that they're wrong, you're good. Do whatever you want. Even churches today, there is the tension and the pressure to not preach all of God's word, to, to overlook certain passages or to overlook certain sins so we don't offend people or, or shrink crowds because people don't like their toes stepped on. But James is clear. He said, make no mistake, God views sin, he hates it. James uses the term filthiness and rampant wickedness to describe sin here. God sees sin and he sees it as filth. What you and I kind of just look over or glance over or justify in our life, God is disgusted by it. Because by his nature, he's holy and he, he can't interact with sin. He can't look at sin without being disgusted by it. And so James says to put away sin. It carries the idea of taking off sin and putting on something else. We're told to put off sin, and what does it say? To receive the word with meekness. Instead of anger and quick responses, instead of sin in our hearts, we should with humility receive the implanted word of God. You say, well, what does that mean, implanted word of God? I, I haven't really heard that phrase. This should draw us back to Jeremiah 31, where the new covenant is predicted in the book of Jeremiah, and God says no longer will he write his, his word on, on, on stone, but he'll write it on the hearts of his people. That God was making a new covenant with a new people, and within that new covenant, he was gonna write the words of his, his law. He was gonna write it on the hearts of his people. So I think what James is saying is that when we're saved, we receive the word of God. It's implanted in us through the gospel. We're, we're saved from our sins, but then there is this continual process of continually receiving the word of God and allowing it to change our lives. This word that is written on our heart, the spirit uses to continue to change our lives, to continue to make us more like Jesus. And so he's saying, instead of quick responses, instead of quick anger, let the word change you. Uh, Douglas Moo says this, the command to accept the word implanted in you is not a command to unbelievers to be converted, but to believers to allow the word to influence them at all parts of their life. By adding the word humbly to the command, James reminds us that we need to be open and receptive to the work of the word in our heart. We should be quick to listen to the word and we should approach it with humility with meekness, not placing ourselves above the word, but under the word. And this is a passage, or this part of the passage, this idea really sets up the rest of the book of James. Because if you come every week and you study this in your personal quiet time, and you really walk with James over the next few weeks, you're gonna be challenged. 
James is gonna step on your toes. He's gonna push you into some corners that you don't like. But in all of that, instead of trying to avoid God's word, instead of trying to get around a few different passages, we sit in humility and we receive the word of God. Whether it's a correction, it's an encouragement, whether God is calling you out, we should in humility accept that, receive that, and allow it to change us. And we should all strive to continue even as Christians, to put off sin and continue to receive God's word in humility in all areas of our life. Uh, I've heard it said that some people treat God's word like a, like a buffet, right? You go through a buffet and, and you pick and choose. You, you get what you like and, and you skip over what you don't like. But that's not how we should treat God's word. That's not how we should uh, approach it. We accept it all or we accept none of it, Right? Hopefully that makes sense. But what does this look like in our lives? How does this take root? How does this take shape in our lives? And that's what I bring you to. Point number two is harmony with the word and obedience. James says this in verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks eternal, uh, intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and, once he forgets, and at once he forgets what he looks like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So as the passage moves, James begins to understand and show us what it looks like for us to receive the word with humility. And we can ask this question, what does it look like for you in your life to receive God's word with meekness? What fruit should be present in your life if you're listening to the word of God, if it's implanted into your heart and changing your life? James makes it clear for us, if you receive the word of God, then obedience will follow in your life. The encouragement in this section of the passage is to not just listen to the word, but to live the word, to live it out in your life, to let it penetrate all areas of your life, to overflow into all areas of your life and to speak into your life. That's what he means by being a doer and not just a hearer. And this is so important. I'll say this. It's so important to hear God's word. It's so important to read the Bible for yourself daily. It's so important to sit under faithful teaching. So important to listen to the good podcast or read the good book. But if all you do is listen, if all you do is hear the word, then you're missing something in your life. You're missing a step that the Lord would have you take. And James gives us this, this illustration about the mirror. And I wanna, I wanna try to help you picture this in your mind. So, so picture in your mind, you're about to go to a nice dinner. Whatever it is, maybe it's a, maybe it's a nice date. So for some of you middle schoolers, you're, you're going to McDonald's or something like that um, with mom and dad's money or going to play mini golf. Uh, but for some of us, uh, maybe you're going to, to Angus Barn or if you're like me, like you go to Chili's and the three for 10 feels pretty nice, right? Uh, but, uh, so whatever it is, right? It's a business meeting. It's a nice date. So you're getting ready, okay? You're, you're getting ready. You're getting dressed. You're getting real, real nice. You want to look good for this date, for this business meeting. And you look in the mirror and you realize something's messed up here. Uh, your makeup's smeared, or your hair's not done, or maybe you cut yourself shaving and you have this blood running down your face and you're like, oh man, I need to change that. I need to fix that before I walk out of the door. And so you look in the mirror, you look away from the mirror, and immediately you forget what you just saw. You, you forget that your makeup's messed up, you forget that your hair looks terrible or that you're bleeding in your face. You go, you jump in your car, and you drive to your dinner and you show up looking however you look. James is kind of painting this picture like, yeah, it was good that you looked in the mirror and saw that your face is messed up, 
but you didn't do anything about it. You, you didn't change anything. So in all honesty, looking in the mirror was no good for you. It didn't really do anything. Now in that illustration, the mirror is the word of God. And you're looking into the word of God and God's word is showing you something to do. God's word is calling you to do something, encouraging you to do something. Something about your life needs to change because of what you just read in the word. And if you walk away from the word, if you walk away from a sermon, from a podcast, whatever it is, if you walk away and don't live it out, you're like the guy who, who looked in the mirror and forgot what his face looks like. It's almost pointless for you. We must not be known for just being a people that hears the word, but a people that does it, that lives it out. So many churches today are con like fully content with like a dynamic speaker to sit down in their chair and let the guy like stir them on for 45 minutes and then to walk out and not do anything with what they've heard. Say, man, I'll go from devotional book to devotional book. I'll, I'll memorize scripture. I'll do all these things, good things. But they're content with just listening, just reading and not living the word. And when we do this, we miss out on a huge blessing. Look at verse 25. He says, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. God's word is a blessing. The instructions, the commands, it's a blessing. And we, we have to remember this. We didn't create God. Like God's not just a concept that man created thousands of years ago. God has always existed and God created you. He, he created me. He is the creator, we are the creatures, right? We're the creation. And so anytime we interact with the word of God and, and we get to this sense where we're feeling like, ah, maybe I'm gonna ignore that or, or, or disobey that, we enter into this tension. You enter into this tension of, who knows better, me or God? When, when you're tempted to disobey the word of God, when you're tempted to ignore a teaching from the word, you enter into the tension of who knows better, the creator or the creation? I, I spend so many Wednesday nights trying to convince teenagers that God knows better than they do. And I think we all need to be convinced of that truth, that God knows best. Psalm 1, uh, 2 through 3 says, But they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on his word day and night. They are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all that they do. It's this picture of, of walking with the Lord, meditating on his word, listening to his instruction, and you're like this tree that never withers, that is always bearing fruit, that is thriving because... You're following God's word. Picture verse 19, slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to anger, and the blessing that would be to your marriage, to your friendships, to your work relationships. The blessing that James is talking about is the overflow, it's, it's the blessing of following the God of the universe and his instructions for you. All of us are tempted to, to disobey, but when we follow, we're blessed. Because God knows best. And so when you ignore God's teaching on any subject, section, sex and sexuality, uh, possessions and money, God's plan for your life, God's desire for global missions and your involvement in that, if you reject any of God's teachings, 
you ignore them, you bypass them, you should expect chaos, heartbreak, and trials to enter into your life. Psalm 1, 6, later on in that psalm says, for the Lord watches over the path of the godly, but the path of the wicked leads to destruction. There is such a great value to following God in his word. It blesses our life. It is good for you. It's not a, not a rule book that's meant to be a burden, but it is a delight when you follow it. James often will echo the teachings of Jesus in his writings. Some people say that James is just giving a commentary on the Sermon on the Mount. Listen to Jesus' words in Matthew 7, uh, 24 through 27. He says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the wind blew and beat against the house and it fell and great was the fall of it. You see James echoing the teaching. These are the words of our Savior. If you hear my words and do them. Luke eleven twenty eight says, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. I believe ultimately James is making this point to his audience. If your life is void of obedience to the word of God, then you might not be a Christian. If your life is just patterned by listening but never doing, not that the doing saves you, but if you never live out the word of God, there's a chance you could not be saved. There's a chance that you could be deceived. That's what he means when he says, but be doers of the word and not hearers, only deceiving yourselves. Because if you just hear but never do, you're deceiving yourself into thinking that you have a religion and a relationship with the Lord that saves you. James says it doesn't. Again, not that your works save you, but good works overflow from a heart that's been changed. And so he's saying if you have no desire for obedience, no desire to, to listen, then you might not be a Christian. James's concern is pastoral. He loves these people. He loves them so much, and he doesn't want them to be deceived. He, he doesn't want them to continue in this lifestyle that might not save them. And so he's writing to them. And I think for all of us, the challenge over the next few weeks will be to sit under the teachings of the Holy Spirit in the book of James to be honest, the, the reality is only the Holy Spirit and the Word of God can show you where you stand with the Lord. I, I, I can't show you. I, I can't discern your heart and get into your mind and tell you, you're for sure saved and you're not. That's not for me to do. Only the Word of God can do that. And over the next few weeks, as, as Pastor David walks us through this, this text and these verses, let them sit on your heart and take this pastoral concern of James seriously. And so we, we move on and, and James continues to help those who, who don't have a genuine faith know if they're deceived or not and he helps those of us who do know what God desires for us. And we'll, we'll end here in just a, just a minute. James three says this, or my point, sorry. Number three, harmony with the word in action. And James says this in 26 and 27. He says, if anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, 
but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. I feel like I'm sweating up here. This passage is heavy. I apologize. Uh, but here's what James is saying. He, he's becoming very practical. Basically, he's saying a lot of what he was just saying in the, the last few verses. He's saying, you can claim to be religious. You can claim to be right with God. You can claim to, to go to church. You can have all these things done. You can fill in the blank whatever religious activity you think makes you right with God. He says, you can have all that. But if you don't have these different things in your life, your religion's worthless. It's a weighty text. That's a tough verse to, that's a hard pill to swallow. Kent Hughes is a a pastor and he describes James as giving three dimensions to authentic Christianity. And let's consider those quickly. The first one is controlling your tongue. Can you control your tongue? The mouth speaks from what the heart is full of. The mouth is the the overflow of your heart, as Jesus would say in the gospel. So if if gossip, lying, slander, anger, cursing, crudeness, if all these things are always on your lips, always flowing out of your heart, that means that they're always in your heart. And at very least, that would be a, a red flag, and at the very most, that would be a sign that your religion to the Lord is worthless. I think we have to be careful not to become a legalist with this. James isn't calling for perfection because none of us can be perfect. James isn't saying that you stub your toe and you cuss, then man, your religion is worthless. James is saying, man, you got caught up in gossip at work. That's not what he's saying. He's not calling for perfection. And I think you could turn this, this passage into legalism, but that's not what he's saying. But he's saying if the constant state of your mouth is impurities, is evil, is wickedness. That is a picture of where your heart's at. And that is a red flag saying something is wrong. And it very well could be a sign that you are not a Christian, that the Spirit of God is not in your heart, that your heart has never truly been transformed. Does that make sense? Do you see James's argument there? Number two, the second dimension is care for the vulnerable. The, the kind of religion, the kind of worship that is pure before God is the one that leads you to visiting orphans and widows. Orphans and widows in Jewish culture were some of the most vulnerable people in their culture because they had nobody to protect them. Uh, Women were not viewed as they should have been in that culture, and children without parents, someone to look after them, were, were in a dangerous place. And so James is saying that if you have a genuine faith, then your faith will lead you to care for those who are vulnerable. There are many in our culture today who are vulnerable. Please hear me. I'm not about to be political in any way, but biblical, okay? The greatest vulnerable people group in our culture is the unborn, who who year after year, it's debated about whether they have a right to life, and they don't even get a voice in the conversation. It's terrible, sad. They are so vulnerable, and the church needs to step in We could also think about the the many children in the foster care system today or those waiting for adoption. Those, whatever the circumstances may be, have no parental guardians to look after them now. Maybe because of the decisions that they made, because of death, because of whatever it is. But these, these children are without an adult in their life that loves them and cares for them. A child is a precious gift from the Lord that should be protected and, and, and looked after and cultivated. 
And there are some children in this life right now, in this world, in our country, in our city, who have nobody looking after them. There are those in the womb who have nobody protecting them, and there are those out of the womb that have nobody looking after them. And James is saying our hearts should go to those. Christianity leads us to those in our culture, the vulnerable, those who need help. I remember sitting in a Sunday school class, not at this church, uh, so don't worry, David, I wasn't here. Uh, I remember sitting in a Sunday school class and the teacher was rambling on about some different things and he basically said that he has no compassion or care for homeless people. He would never do anything to help them because they put themselves in that situation and he doesn't really care what happens to them. And I remember me and my older brother were talking about that and we were like, dude, like, (laughs) Jesus wouldn't say that. That's crazy that he just taught us that in Sunday school. That's so opposite of the heart of God. God cares for the vulnerable and as his people, we should as well. I wish that the church in America was known more for this, for stepping in for the vulnerable and protecting them. And I I would say this, and I I really, I've prayed about this, I'm not trying to step on toes, but please don't let a political ideology or political language stop you from caring for the most vulnerable in our country. It is not patriarchal or far right to care for the unborn. And it is, it's not woke or liberal to care for a refugee child who's here in the, the triangle that needs help. It's not woke to care for the poor. It's not any of that. It's biblical. It's true Christianity to care for the unborn, to care for the vulnerable. Too often we let those terms that we use today stop us from doing the work of the Lord. James is saying these things are biblical, and it's a test of true Christianity. I think he would tell us, if you can't control your tongue and you care not for the poor, you might not have a genuine faith. And before we go to the third dimension and close, I just wanna make a quick note on, on foster care and adoption. Uh, the, the, st- the statistics change every now and again based on the study, but the one that I found as I was looking, it said this, that if one family from every third church, so one family from every three churches, if one family from every third church adopted a child from foster care, every child currently waiting to have a home would find one. And that's a failure of the church, that we have the resources, we have the people, and we're not doing it. One family from every three churches. So every third church that you pass on 401, if one family would step up, we could say to these children, you have a home now. That's what Christianity should do. That's what the gospel leads us to do, to care for the vulnerable. And I know it's not for everybody, and and certain seasons of life would prevent you from from doing that, but but think about ways that you could be involved in foster care, that you could support somebody who's doing it, uh, give money to, to places like the Baptist Children's Home in North Carolina, or you yourself consider and pray through the idea of fostering and adopting, because the need is so great. And the foster care system cannot handle all of these children. It needs help. I think the church should step up. And number three, the third dimension, then we'll close. Mike, if you wanna start strumming the keys, playing the keys, you can, you can do that. Uh, so we need that, right? Uh, <laughs> number three is to remain unstained 
from the world. I said strumming the keys. I'm sure the musicians just cringed. Uh, I am not one. Uh, but he says this. He says we should remain pure and, and unstained from the world. That we must not make the mistake of thinking that religion is everything we do on the outside. Is that we make like social justice our religion and think because I do all these things on the outside, I'm right with God. But God also looks towards the inside. And he also looks at your heart. And so James is looking at the heart. He says that true Christianity is in the world, but not of it. That yes, we live here, but this is not our home. And this world and this culture and the things of this world cannot be the king of our heart. Jesus as our model, he, he walked on this earth, he ate with sinners, yet there was something completely different about him from the rest of the world. Romans 12, 2 says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by the testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable. James says the third mark, the third way that you could test yourself is, are you living in the world? Do you love the world too much? Are you conforming to the world or conforming to Christ? I love basketball. I, I, I know using sports as an illustration falls apart for some people, but I think you can follow with me. Uh, when you play basketball, uh, I remember high school, uh, sometimes when I go to the YMCA or when we play basketball here at the church, uh, sometimes people can, can kind of walk the walk, um, and, but they, they, can't, they can't play. Uh, so they, they walk out and, and they have really nice shoes. They have the, you know, the LeBron James is the GOAT t-shirt. And you're like, oh man, surely this guy knows how to play basketball. And, and they get out there and they're just terrible. And you're like, dude, he's never picked up a basketball before. He's a faker. He's not good. The, the same, I think, could be said of Christianity sometimes that you can try to put on a religious show, but God sees right through it. You can have some good works, you can say the right things, you can listen all you want, but God sees where you truly are. He sees the state of your heart. And I think this whole passage would, would really kind of come down to the question, what do, what do you do with this? What do you do with God's word? Just made fun of myself for misspeaking on music and, and all that. But, but think about it this way. The, the, the definition of harmony is the combination of simultaneously sounded musical notes uh, to produce chords and chord progressions having a pleasing effect. And so if you think about that in your life, what is the combination between the words that you hear from God and the life that you're living? Is there a pleasing sound being made? between what you're hearing and what you're living? Are you living in harmony with God's word? What kind of melody are you making with your life? Is it pointing to our savior or to something else? And so as you read this passage and the other passages in James, ask yourself the question, is there a harmony between what I'm reading in this passage and what I'm seeing in my life? That's the question we have to continually ask because James is concerned with Christians who are self-deceived, people who aren't actually Christians, people who put on an outward sign of religion, but on the inside, they still need the gospel to save them. So I think there's some of us in the room that are Christians, and we just need the challenge of James. Man, just stop just listening, but start living. 
But there's some of us, maybe the Holy Spirit has stopped you in your tracks today and you're beginning to feel this wrestling inside of you of that maybe you're not saved. Maybe God's word is revealing that you've convinced yourself that you, you're, you're right with the Lord, but you're really not. I think the Bible would speak to that person and would say to fix your problems, to, to, to fix your heart is more than just more religious activity. I think it's time to surrender. Some of us have been in church for so long and we've done the Christian dance, but we've never surrendered to King Jesus. Because the Bible would paint Jesus as king. He's king of all. And he's a king who's gonna come back one day and every knee will bow before him. But some of us right now still have rebellion in our hearts. We still are not submitting to Jesus as we should. We still are ruled by the sin in our hearts and not the king in heaven. The gospel's so beautiful though that it would say that King Jesus stepped down from heaven, died on a cross and rose again three days later to make the payment for all the rebels. That, that King Jesus looked down and saw humanity rebelling and did not come down to crush humanity but to die for us so that we might be welcomed in, so that we might have the chance to repent of our sins and to submit before our Lord. And so, like I said, I cannot speak to whether you were truly saved or not. That's not for me to do. That's not for Pastor David to do. But the Spirit of God might be speaking to you now. He might be holding up the mirror of God's Word to your heart, and I just hope that you would listen. I hope that if there's any question about whether you're saved or not, is that you would not look in the mirror and walk away and forget, but that you would respond in this moment. That you would call upon Jesus to forgive you of your sins. That you would submit yourself to your Lord who died for you. And so in the next few minutes, uh, as, as we sing, I hope that Christians would, would pray and would would reflect, but I hope that if you feel like there's a stirring in your soul, there's a question about where you, where you stand with the Lord, that you would, you would come down and you would find Pastor David or you would find me either now or after the service, but I pray that you would not just walk out and forget what you've seen today. If the Lord is speaking, respond. If the Spirit of God is stirring, then move. So if you don't want to come down front, find us afterwards. But I would encourage you to move now, to have conversations now, because one day King Jesus is coming back. And he'll take his people to heaven with him, and he'll judge those who are not his. And I pray that you would not be in that judgment, but you would rise with him. Let's pray.